Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Hi folks, how are you? I hope this finds you well. Uh, as of recording this, it is Monday the 19th of June. My voice might sound slightly wispy, gravelly, overused, definitely deeper. That's because I've just returned. In fact, 4am this morning I returned from the Isle of Wight Festival, where I had a wonderful time uh, bringing you the TV coverage for Sky Arts, which you can watch back on Catch Up if you fancy. Uh, Some great performances from the likes of personal highlights for me, Pulp, Chemical Brothers, Manic Street Preachers. And there were loads more. Last dinner party, going to throw that in there as well. But there were so many. Uh, So go and check it out if you fancy it. Anyway, that's by the by because we're celebrating the 50th anniversary of The Wicker Man this week in the company of Leslie Mackey and Gary Carpenter. Now, if you've seen the film, you're like, how would Leslie Mackey, how did Leslie appeared as Daisy in the film? So you remember that scene in the classroom where Edward Woodward's character talks to that little girl with the dark hair and she lifts up her desk and there's a beetle. That's all I'm going to say. That's Leslie. That's Daisy. Well, Gary was the film's associate music director who helped assemble the band Magnet, who performed the songs composed by Paul Giovanni. Now, we'll get to Leslie and Gary in a second, but about a month ago, I was lucky enough to be invited along to host a very special 50th anniversary event, which took place at the Picturehouse Central in London. And it was a screening of the film, and it was also a kind of pre-show live event that had lots of special guests coming and being part and talking about their involvement in the film or why and how the film is very important to them. We had live music. We had video messages from people like Guillermo del Toro. We had the director's sons who are making a documentary take part. So I wanted to give you a little insight into what that event was like with a couple of people who took part. Now, the film is on general release. The final cut, 4K Restoration, is going to be in cinemas this Wednesday, June the 21st. Now, before the film, you can watch this 50th anniversary event, which features people like this. Reese Shearsmith talking about why the film means so much to him. It also features the one and the only Willow herself, Britt Eklund. The thing with The Wicked Man was that it basically was a very simple film. It was a very simple, and when we made it, when I was offered it, it wasn't a horror film. Mm. It was just a film with Edward Woodward and Christopher Lee and Diane Gilento and Ingrid Pitt. Oh, that's a nice, that sounds nice. Uh, it's low budget. Well, yeah, most films were in those days. So um, at least you don't have to wear your own wardrobe, which we used to have. Um, so I look at it today and, I, um, you know, yes, um, I'm proud to be part of it. I think, and it still does, it has the power of every time you see it, you don't think the what happens is going to happen. And you, <laughs> your, your hope is that it won't happen. And it does. And it's one of those films where... It's not meant to happen. It's, it's something quite extraordinary about this whole journey that 
it's a brilliantly constructed script, and that's what I love about it. And it's, and it's the thing that's we've taken time and time again. You know, the inspiration from the the clever seeding of what is actually happening and what you think you're watching and what really is happening. And so the trap of the film and the fact that how he is innocent to it is is extraordinary and it just works every time and you're always wishing that the ending wasn't the ending. There we go, a little insight into just a few of the people who took part in this wonderful 50th anniversary event. But just to remind you that The Wicker Man, the final cut 4K restoration, will be in cinemas this Wednesday. That's the 21st of June, complete with exclusive footage from the recent 50th anniversary event, which took place in London that I am talking about. So enjoy. And so to Leslie and Gary. And we'll begin with one of the cues from the film, Fire Leap. Take the flame inside you, burn and burn below. Fire seed and fire feed and make the baby grow. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this for me. It's really lovely to get to to continue the celebration. Happy birthday. Yeah. Happy, yeah. Birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday. Uh, Leslie, as you were just saying, that notion of, you know, at the time thinking that 50 years down the line that this film would continue to have a have a life, you know, it kind of almost regenerates, doesn't it? Kind of every every couple of years or whatever, yeah. for whatever reason that is. And, and have fans really from all over the world. Absolutely. It's a hard thing to actually say. I was in that 50 years ago. Fortunately, I was the sort of uh, chubby schoolgirl in the classroom. And there's quite a few folk that don't actually know my age. Ha! Your age is up for everybody, isn't it, nowadays? Just a number. Just a number. But it's just 50 years ago just sounds harsh. However, I don't know what's happened to all the others in the schoolroom. I don't know if nobody seems to be have spoken about them. Because, you know, in Newton Stewart, everybody was of interest. You know, like the baby in the graveyard. She mm-hmm. was being pursued for photographs by all the fans because um, she, in fact, you see, she was the baby of my friend Barbara Rafferty. Uh, oh. Barbara Rafferty being a, a Scottish actress, and she was at drama school with me. And so when this woman came up to me, because she's 50, exactly, and said, I'm uh, the baby in the graveyard. She says, that's what I've got to say now, because people just sort of go, wow, because she's the baby in the graveyard. Oh. So she was there for that weekend in Newton Stewart as well, Amy. I mean, what you say that all the other girls in the in the school in the school class as well, but you were you made an impression. I got to speak. Well, no, but it, but it was but it was the presence <laughs> that you had as well and stuff. You spoke, yes, but you had an amazing presence that fitted in with the kind of the kind of unspoken kind of things that were going on within this film. You know, as it unfolded, sort of thing. You had an amazing 
amazing performance in that short moment. Oh, thank you. Strangely, I don't really know if I knew what I was saying about the Beatle, that it was actually about Edward Woodward's character, you know, going round and round and then being mm. trapped. Because I don't think we all had full scripts. I probably had a few pages of script and I just knew I was a very naughty little girl I'd, and and sort of <laughs> wicked. And <laughs> but, and, and uh, it, yeah, sort of almost malevolent. <laughs> and it turned out that was Reese Shearsmith's favourite two minutes from the film. Yeah. Yeah, he pointed that out on the night. He was just like, I think you inspired so many characters that he's written since, you know, since that film really as well. So that's a, another thing that you've done, Leslie. Oh, I wish I could have come to the me one in London, but it was just such a, a clash. And I thought, I've started so I'll finish, you know, with the, the one in Newton Stewart. And yeah. we were doing the burning on the Monday. So um, that was all happening up there too. And Amanda Sunderland has created that Huge, well, it's a quarter of the original size, apparently. Wow. It's still an amazing thing she she'd put together. And uh, and there were all sorts of people there, but there were the, the nicest folk, because I thought there would be quite a few that seemed very, very into the cult to an unusual degree. Yeah. But they were sort of singing beside me when the, the man was burning. And then a chap beside me said, they're white witches, by the way. And I just thought, well, that's interesting, because they seemed awful friendly. You get a lot of that. I know that when I did a conference in Dumfries some time ago, there was a whole thing about sort of paganism and white witches and uh, being the fans of the film and how they'd taken it to their hearts. But they were from an academic, the academic branch of white witches. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. There's different branches to the white witch brigade. Leslie, do you mind me asking how you how you got the part, how you ended up being in The Wicker Man? Well, it was just that I was with one of the very few Scottish agents at the time. I'd just left college and it was Freddie Young. And in fact, her husband, John Young, ended up in the film as well. And we all had to go to her office. And we were just told, you're up for um, a 12-year-old or something. Just make sure your breasts, your bust looks flat. And I just had to sort of make sure I was <laughs> strapped in. I can't remember how we did it because we were, in fact, I saw my birthday on the school register at one stage uh, after the film was long out. And I thought, oh, I like that birthday because it's the 8th of October, 1959. And uh, and in fact, I got a 60th birthday card from one of the fans on my on Daisy's 60th birthday. So I'm like the queen now. I've got two birthdays. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, man, um, that's awesome. They are really, really very, very loving of the film. And, mm. uh, you know, you, you do get lots of different sort of messages. And I've just enjoyed it for that because I've never gone to any of these um well, the things for the horror, uh, somebody got on to yeah. once and said, do you have to come and just sign your autograph and then we take a pound or something every time you do it? And I said, oh, I've never in my life charged for my autograph and I just don't think that would be my kind of scene. Yeah. Really. But no, I, the, the, the Wicker Man has become a force to be reckoned with and it's just nice. I'm really delighted to have been involved to that extent because it's a happy thing, except that the only unhappy thing about it, I have to say, is that I think that Daisy does get quite a lot of attention, more so because so many are not here with us. You know, I realised when I sat there in Newton Stewart with the two Hardy brothers mm. uh, for the question and answer session, and I thought, well, Gary would have been there if he could have been, I know. But, but you know, with Paul Giovanni, with Edward, all the leads have gone. Yeah. And, uh, and, a, and a lot of the others, <clears throat> there's, there's really nobody else. Well, certainly nobody else that's done singing as well. Yeah. Got, at least they got to sing. That's what um, mm-hmm. makes the difference, I guess, a bit. <laughs> 
you mentioned Paul and Gary. Paul was was the reason that you got involved mm. in the film. Is that right? Can you talk a little bit about how you you came to be to be involved in the film and what that involvement was for people listening? What happened was that Paul Giovanni, the thing was thrown to being thrown together at very short notice, <clears throat> basically because British land was about to be dissolved and they had a slush fund which they had to eat up very quickly. Otherwise, it would just disappear. So it was action fast. Paul was staying with Peter Schaffer, and he was looking for a um, an arranger, assistant, composer type sort of person to to work with him um, and to find the musicians to play. And I was approached because he thought it would be cheaper to employ a student mm-hmm. than to employ a professional musician. I actually didn't know about MU rules at the time, which basically... <laughs> And if you were there, you're going to get paid the same, whoever you were, <laughs> or a minute. I wasn't a student, but I'd recently left the Royal College of Music. And at that time, it was one of the few organisations that actually had a careers officer. She spoke to my ex-composition teacher, John Lambert, and he thought I might be the right person for the job. So I got sent to Earl's Court area, to Peter's place, where I met Paul. Um, we basically talked a bit and I played the piano a bit and explained to him that I'd actually, although I'd you know, come out of a classical training, um, I'd been playing in a folk rock band and I had um, folk musicians that I played with and worked with a lot. And that uh, one way or other, basically, I'd be the right person for the job. Mm-hmm. And he agreed. And the rest, as they say, is history. So I co-opted all these guys that I knew some from college, uh, Peter Brewis, uh, Michael Cole, who plays the bassoon and the concertina. Ian Cutler and Andy Tompkins were friends from when I was at school and we played various in folk bands or we'd done Cayley bands. I used to make a, a passable living whilst I was a student playing Saturday night gigs at the Irish Centre, that sort of thing. So that's how we came together. So he asked them all to come round and we all came round and jammed a bit and he seemed quite happy. And so off we went. And we were in the studio about a week later. All of the songs were basically pre-recorded. Was anything played uh, live whilst you were filming? Yeah, the only thing that was played live whilst performance was The Tinker of Rye. Uh, the, uh, well, I say played right. I mean, I actually pre-recorded it the day before. Um, and it was played with Christopher Lee, sort of faking it at the piano. But he yeah. sang on it. He had a great voice, didn't he? Oh, he's a wonderful singer. Yeah. As he was very fond of telling you on many occasions, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was he? <laughs> there was a tinker lived of late who walked the streets of Rye. He bore his pack upon his back, patches and plugs did cry. Oh, I have brass within my bag, my hammer's full of metal. And as to skill, I will conduct and mend a broken kettle. It's quite a unique but, ask, though, isn't it, for a, as a musician to be to come involved, to be involved, and get you know write the music, brilliant and fair enough. But then for as musicians to be to be in the production as well, you know, as it's happening, playing characters. Did you know that that was going to be the case? Not really, no. I mean, we just basically said, uh, "Well, we play," and then it's, "Oh, you are, are you all, are you all free to come up and be in the film." So, you know, everybody sort of scratched their heads for about a nanosecond and said, oh, yeah, we are, yeah. Uh, but actually, some of them had had commitments. So basically, they were very good. They flew them back for the commitments, flew them back up again. 
for us, I mean, come on, we were sort of like 21, something wow. like that. And we got Caledonian sleepers and we got flights up and we got picked up by Mercedes cars and all the rest of it and driven to hotels and fed. But did you get paid as well? Yeah, 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 yeah. we didn't have to pay for it. You know, what I mean is, did you get paid? Because I'll never forget the, the thing about the finance because I was given £50, I knew, for paying Daisy. And then for the singing and everything, I was just handed a £20 note for doing the Highland Lament. Doesn't surprise. Is that the way it works? I can tell yeah, you. Yeah, I didn't. And, and I did a whole day. I've been looking up my diary from that year. And I've got a whole day of <laughs> sessions with the boys. Great fun. And I don't remember ever being paid for these things because it was nothing to do with my agent. I was just, will you come to London? And I think they paid my fares. But I got £30 for trying to teach Brit to speak Scots. And I remember these amounts vividly <laughs> because I remember she was very, very interested in how I lived on £20 a week because that's what I'd just been getting for the Great Northern Welly Boot Show. And, and I remember her saying, and how do you live? And, and she was just so glamorous and sat there thinking she was speaking Scots. But certainly the finance, I know I was paid very little for the singing, but I just enjoyed it. I got paid £35 a week. So you had a weekly rate, I all right. A weekly rate. No, no, but they had to pay me extra for the sessions, for the recording what? sessions. I made much more money from the recording sessions than I did from actually being Paul's assistant. Did you get anything for appearing on the wall and playing your instrument? I honestly can't remember. There must have been something because on screen involved a certain payment. Well, that might have been, in my case, included in my... Uh, your I'm, session fee. I, I, I lose the term use the term loosely, my contract. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think there were any sort of, as far as the, the film credits and that went, I mean, I remember not realising until I saw the film that I was down as Leslie Mackey with EY in the, the first bit and IE in the closing ones. And there's no credit for singing anything at all. Right. And in fact, it's only in recent years that that's kind of come out about the songs. And that came about because of just a, a session in the pub we all got together. Jamming away. And somebody said, you get up and sing something. And I remember singing Summertime, and Edward Woodward got up, and that was in my my higher range, and he did um trumpet. Were you, you were there, Gary? Oh, yeah, yeah, we were playing yeah. for you. All right. I didn't know who was there. Remember, remember us. Oh, <laughs> so you just improvised. Yeah, we, and, Andy would. Yeah, we just we were. Because we'd never rehearsed anything. I don't know. I don't remember exactly when we slept, but basically, mm -hmm. apart from doing all the film work, we'd also yeah. then go in the evenings and be the sort of like the the covers band. Pub band. <laughs> I thought that was just a, the way it was in a whole new life. Just everybody was all mucking in together, and oh, thanks for playing for me because you got me that. <laughs> Yeah, then. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> and, and then I fifty years late, song. but it's a thank you, Gary. Fifty years late. <laughs> I mean, I remember, I remember, I remember Edward doing the trumpet solos. He used to do. We used to do this almost every night, actually. And he would be. He not only could do a trumpet very well, he could do a, quite a varied selection of trumpet mutes, which was quite. Oh wow! It was. It was. It was wow, delightful. Wow. Yeah, it was, it was There's good. a film in that in itself. There's a film in a film here. This is amazing. The film the offset, yeah. The offset things, yeah. Well, also, he had a wonderful singing voice. I mean, you get a, a measure of it when he's basically burning up at the end, but he is actually pretty good. Yeah, yeah very good. Yeah. There's so many kind of urban myths and, you know, kind of folklore around the whole set and filming and what it was like and what went on and what didn't go on and stuff. But what are your memories of, of actually filming and, and, you know, what that experience was? personally for you both was was like and what you remember about it mine was very quick 
Gary probably has more to say about this because it was in the schoolroom scene. I just had to wait a few days because mm-hmm. of the, I don't know why the weather affected the schoolroom scene, to be fair, but we were all just sitting around in the rain. It's but, because they were doing the maypole sequence at the same time. Oh, the same time. Yeah. Right. That was just outside the schoolroom. Yes, yeah, so yeah. we were constantly sitting, waiting. and uh, But in the schoolroom, it went very, very quickly. I don't remember again being given specific instructions. I don't think Robin was very much into the actor-director thing of saying, I want you to do this or that. He yeah. just let it happen and it's trusted. Yeah. And yeah. so we did that. I just remember leaving the classroom and walking along the road a little bit with Dan Chalento and thinking how nice she was. Mm. She was so friendly and, and encouraging, and I just remember her specifically. But uh, Yes, she but, was nice, actually. I, I worked with her afterwards, actually, because she was directing a musical called... Uh, or she was directing what was initially supposed to be just a melodrama at Stratford Theatre Road um, on Dion Busey Coast, The Streets of London. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. music, and I got involved in that, and then it got expanded out into an entire musical. So I worked with her on all of that. So wow. That oh, I didn't know she was involved in that. I knew you were, but yeah. yeah. Did you stick around, though, Leslie? Did you kind of, did you, were you, you know, were you allowed or encouraged to kind of, you know, see, you know, watch what else was going on and... Not a lot of that because the weather was so bad. But yeah. I remember being called one day to do um, the picture of the failed harvest, which was um, just in that churchyard with, with nothing much about because the girls who were the twins playing Rowan had done their hours and they were only allowed to because they were genuinely 13 or 14. And so they said they were going to they superimpose her head onto my body. So the picture that's on the, school, the wall, when you do see it eventually with the failed harvest, is my body. And her oh, head. head. And at that time, I always thought, thought afterwards when I saw it, because I was, I had some kind of, I think it was puppy fat at the time. And I thought I was chubbier than the other girls anyway. And I remember thinking, I wonder if she's annoyed that that's not her very slim body, that because I looked a bit chubbier. <laughs> oh, it, no. I just always thought about it when I saw it at that time, because I'd, I'd lost all the ex, the weight I had. I was not like, I wasn't like a thing, but you can, in the Daisy in the classroom, it was a chubby face, wasn't it, Gary? Yeah. That came about, I think, because of a change in the script, because the original script had a three-night rather than a two-night, and it was originally going to be... It would have made sense within the context of the larger script to have had Rowan there. It was Mm. only when they realised that, basically, they couldn't do it that long, and they had rewrites and everything, that they superimposed. She wasn't there. Well, I just knew that she wasn't available for whatever reason. Mm. I'm glad you said Rowan, Gary, because I mentioned that in Newton Stewart. I never liked to see at the time of the film because, you know, it, it started with Rowan, so it was going to be Rowan. But, I mean, with the Scots would always say Rowan, Rowan. the Rowan tree, and, but it's there forever as Rowan. So, um, yeah. there you so go. It's only because I've seen the film. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what about you, Gary? What's your kind of kind of lasting memories of, of actually, you know, being well, in the film and the filming part of it rather than, you know, kind of being in the studio and on the musical well, side of it? Well, I rather like this. I remember spending a lot of time hanging around, largely playing chess or cards. And I played a lot of chess with Aubrey Morris, who was the grave digger. Um, and he always won because he knew what he was doing, and I never really did, as he often used to comment every time he beat me. But anyway, um, so my job on the film set, <clears throat> there were several jobs, one of which was, I mean, I, whenever there was music to be played on site, um, I would do it. So, for example, I played the organ in the church sequence at the beginning, 
Um, actually, that was recorded on site as well, but that's me in drag on the organ. Um, <laughs> um, and then there were some scenes that were supposed to be shot, well, they were filmed, that were on the mainland, which are no longer in the mix. That involved me playing the piano there for the sort of pub, being the pub pianist. They had to be careful with that one because it could only be my hands because the, the, by the time they got around to filming, that wasn't done at the beginning, it was done later in the film. I was sort of already sort of been slated into about seven shots. So basically. <laughs> Different disguises. I love I'd, that. I'd, it's I'd, like, I'd, where's I'd, Wally, but where's Gaddy? Yeah. By a good time, I'd have been above the title, you know what I mean? That's And then there were things like the Maypole sequence that um, I was involved. I'm just one of the players there playing the recorder and playing the recorder in the Gently Johnny and uh, Willow song in the pub. Yeah. And then playing the Nordic Lyre in a very precipitous position at Burrowhead for the um, preparation for the lullaby sequence, which incidentally was quite sort of hairy, really, because I'm standing over a precipice. I'm standing over a chasm, actually, wow. about twenty feet into the North Atlantic, and basically, <laughs> you know, it was a drop. And yeah, I was about a meter in between my wow. Legs. And when he told me, at one point, if you look at the film closely, why would you look that closely? I sort of shift slightly to the right. That's Robin saying, can you turn to the right? And I'm thinking very quickly, can I turn to the right without dropping into the... Falling off yeah, the abyss, wow. Falling into the abyss, yeah, very good. <laughs> Do you have point. happy memories from it? Do you have kind of, is it... Is well, it... I had a great, I, yeah, I had a great time. I mean, there was one day they decided to throw a party for the company where all of the food was prepared by Brit Eklund and Diane and Ingrid. And they had, I remember they had wild rice flown in from Harrods. Mm. That was very exotic in those pre-EU days, especially yeah. wild Wild rice, had, yeah. We had garlic and olive oil, another exotica that was lost in that particular period of British life. That was really disappointing for me because I was there that week and, and I was invited and I'd already arranged to go out for a Chinese meal with a chap who drove me every day called Terry Piper and I didn't have the heart to say no. And so Aww. I sat there during this Chinese meal thinking and in, and I knew there'd be so many stories because they dressed up and everything, didn't they? As sort of maids and waitresses and, and, I, and I just thought, you told me about the wild rice and everything. I just thought that would have been such fun. But no, I was having a Chinese meal with Terry <laughs> <laughs> living the life living the life but i also before well before finish i was just thinking um my strongest memory of it and it was a happy time with everybody so lovely but on the day before the day i was before i was leaving because i was going down to london to do um the great northern um welly boot show at the young vic and mm. uh they came and said, Are you, you're going to London, aren't you? Could you take the week's rushes? <gasps> and uh, and I just said, yes. Because, again, I had no idea. Now I look back on this, I think, me, just out of drama school, and they said it's worth £15,000, your own scene is in it, and you have to get them to... Now, I don't know what the studios were. Would it be Delaney Lee or would it be Shepparton? Wow. Uh, somewhere to get them to. And they said, well, we'll pay for your sleeper. And so I got to the sleeper, and there was another lady sharing with me. And I remember, I just couldn't see what this big box thing was. And I lay on that bunk just with my hand out in it. And I thought, oh, somebody's going to... I just often think, oh, did I really deliver them? Did it, did I lose some of the rushes? But no, and I had to go, got in at 6 a.m. And I had to get to the studio, get a taxi with this box. And I had to sit outside till 9 a.m. 
till somebody let me in. And I said, that's the filming for The Wicker Man. And so wow, that's a I hope I gave it to the right way. person. <laughs> but it was, the, it was like that though, Gary, wasn't it? it was. Was that oh, kind? yeah, it was a very sort of... Um, Free and easy. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. That's Over an the, amazing story. Well, we, we, the, the music for, for the film, I didn't get done till February, March mm. of 73. Oh, yeah, the post-production period. The post, yes, because yeah. there was oh. Willow's song. And mine wasn't the one in the soundtrack, but it's on the album. It was lovely to get to do these things and uh, all through getting up in the pub and singing a couple of songs there. And, and, and we did the Highland Lament then as well, of course. Yeah, that was in February. Because <laughs> I've been looking up the dates just in case because some of the fans like to ask that on the Wicker Man site. What date did you do this? And what, so what I can't um, remember is what hotel I stayed in. And everybody, I wasn't the Kira Tree. And uh, <laughs> were you, you were somewhere else, Gary. Yeah, I was at the hotel in Newton Stewart. I can't remember the name of it. I was Newton Stewart, but I just... Can't remember the name, and I, I wish I could. It was on the main street. The Newtons could have been the Newton Arms or something. My diary says, "Go to the old King's Arms," and then it has in brackets, "Wrong hotel." So I think oh, that was how, will, how brilliant that you've kept diary that you kept diaries as well. That's so fantastic. Yeah, I wish I now wish I had. But I just... Oh, nah. you were there for so long. You were there the whole time, but and so, you saw everything. How long was it? Six weeks. Yeah, I must have been there for three or four weeks of the shoot. Yeah. I mean, I came up and down because I, I also had a gig to do with my folk band, which again they accommodated, which was fine. Amazing. It was and, lovely um, to hear um, at the the celebration night that we did, Gary, where I met you. Um, was was it was really nice to hear Brit had kind of you know kind of because I know that it'd been a sort of tricky experience for her, you know, not not necessarily the filming of it, but I think kind of you know post and being dubbed and all that kind of stuff and whatnot and um and but it's nice to hear that she sort of found peace with it and is kind of at a point yeah. you know that she yeah. can celebrate with everybody and really kind of be what's the word I'm looking for I don't know she's proud of it I guess you know proud yeah. of what the journey that what the film continues to do her story is an interesting one even the fact of the dubbing and the and the whole machinations of it all mm. and just I, lovely faces there yeah know. I can understand why she was Pissed off, frankly. Yeah. While she was there. I mean, if you think about what she was doing, James Bond one week. Well, she she goes on to do James Bond, mm. doesn't she? Just beforehand, she does get Carter with Michael Caine. Yeah. And so all of a sudden, one's in London, the others well, it's you know Elstree and all the rest of it for for, for for Bond films. And all of a sudden, she's in the sort of the back end of Scotland, and it was actually the back end of that time. So even to this day, it's one of the least until the Wicker Man, of course, it's one of the least visited parts of Scotland. And it was sort of, you know, it wasn't, I'm sure she was used to... And she was pregnant. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. They still go on about how rude she was about the place, but I mean, everybody is <clears throat> feeling a bit down in the way rain's pouring. Goes, oh, well, how did we get to this hell's awful place? You yeah. know, but it was in the papers, and everybody was offended. And but it's so long ago now. I don't yeah, know she, was, she, she was she was perfectly nice to me because I had to sort of all of the dubbing had to be worked out. I remember going to her hotel room to teach her to make sure that she was able to. Maya, basically, that, that, that she was going to be lip-synced to the uh, Willow song. But there's no going back on the fact that the date's calling this the final cut, and they've done it again to Willow's song. And and I, I had so hoped it would be the same as the director's cut with them, the, the complete song. And it's just like, stops suddenly, doesn't it? And then cuts uh, the last line, uh, two lines of two verses. It's, it's, uh, it's ridiculous. I've no idea why it wasn't restored. I mean, I kind of got... I mean, I don't think Robin was actually the most musical of people. I don't think he really knew what yeah. was that well. Um, and I think that basically it was put back together in the director's cut. Yeah. And horrifically returned to the bastardised, butchered version for the final cut. Yeah. I think they should have... They, they said they Kept the whole song it. on, yeah. They should have yeah. put the whole song back in. I mean, you know, it's a big success for Robin and all that, but frankly, it's not Fellini, is it? I mean, you could have put it back and it wouldn't have been. <laughs> yeah, no. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. Um, well, listen, I can't, I've kept you for so long, guys. I thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. It's so all lovely right. to get the chance to, to celebrate. And it's also so lovely that people get the chance to see it in the cinema again. You know, yeah. in terms of that was what was great about that night, Gary, was like the fact that it was on that big screen and it's uh Oh, it's great. It's so brilliant. It's lovely. And it's so lovely having you both here to celebrate. And so happy and anniversary to you both. Thank oh, you. Thank you. From the soundtrack to The Wicker Man, that's Chop Chop, rounding off this latest episode of Soundtrack with Leslie Mackey and Gary Carpenter. My huge thanks to Leslie and Gary for taking the time to talk to me. If you can, 
I really urge you to get to one of those 50th anniversary screenings near you, which will also feature the Q&A I did with people involved and fans beforehand. If you're new to the podcast, head to edithbowman.com to catch up with all of our previous episodes and please do follow us on your socials at Soundtracking UK. Next up then, so we've got some pretty interesting guests and you'll have to just tune in to find out in which order they come. Charlie Brooker, Wes Anderson, James Mangold. I know, how lucky are we? I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. Mm-hmm.